Today we're beginning a brand new series called Trial, Error, and Living Better. And the point of the series is that we all kind of screw up. We're all trying to make it through. And yet this push of how do we go about better living? How do we engage in it? How does it happen? And we're going to be looking specifically at the life of David who becomes the king of Israel and we're going to look at it over the next few weeks about his life because he's this guy that becomes king of Israel. He's the guy who unites the tribes. And in some ways, it seems like, man, this guy's got it going on, right? He gets to be king. He, um, he really knows how to work with the armies. He knows how to gather people together. He knows how to bring people together. Yet his life is a mess. Like, he tries and he screws up every which way. We have plenty of verses that say, wow, David, like you screwed this up royally, not only professionally, but personally, relationally. And then there are these instances where he does amazingly good. Like he does really nice things. He is very helpful. And so David is this mixed bag of humanity, right? Because generally we're not always good. We're not always bad. We're kind of like this mixture. Sometimes we make good decisions. Sometimes our choices are questionable, right? And we're all just trying to navigate. We're trying to figure it out because my guess is all of us would say, right? I want to live better. We wouldn't say, you know, I really hope my life is destroyed. I really hope that I live and it's painful and awful and terrible and that I constantly make bad choices. No, most of us would say, no, I, I do. I want to live better. And so how do we begin to engage in that conversation with looking at the story of David? So for today, we're going to start into a story. I've actually split it into two parts. The first part is this week. The second part is next week because the story is a little long. But this story is looking at how David is engaging with a guy named Nabal, which his name means fool. Literally, the, Hebrew's name, the Hebrew name means fool and his wife Abigail, Nabal's wife Abigail, and how David is going to really struggle in this moment. And where we begin, it, we start off with finding out something about really where David's kind of on the edge. We, we begin with learning that Samuel, the prophet, the high priest, the guy who anointed David king, even though David hasn't taken the throne yet, that that guy has died. He is an important figure. In fact, the king before David, King Saul, Samuel also anointed. And we're at the point in the life of Saul and David where they're, they're at each other. Like things are not going along. At one time, David had been welcomed into Saul's court. Saul had given David his daughter as wife. And now things, Saul is pursuing David, trying to kill him. David is trying to figure out kind of what to do. And Samuel, the guy who could tell them both they need to take a seat, they need to sit down for a hot second, is now gone. 
the person who could generally rein them in, hold them accountable for their actions, is no longer present. And so Saul and David are now having to navigate life without Samuel. And David's going to struggle here. Just as we all have experiences where we have events happen, we have moments happen in our life, and we begin to struggle. We struggle sometimes not because of anything we've done, but we struggle with whatever we're facing. So beginning in 1 Samuel, the 25th chapter, verses 1 through 3. Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered to mourn for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. David then left and went down to the Moan wilderness. There was a man in Moan who did business in Carmel. He was a very important man and owned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. At that time, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and attractive woman, but her husband was a hard man who did evil things. He was a Calebite. All right, so we immediately learn this state of mind that David is in, right? David's lost the guy who kind of had helped him along, kind of showing him the way, who had anointed him king and said, not yet, but soon. David now goes into the wilderness with his men, his army, his servants. And this should bring us back right here to understanding this connection between Israel and going into the wilderness. David goes into the wilderness with people just as Israel went in. All these people go into the wilderness and yet they still feel isolated and alone. They are still struggling. Even though people are all around them, they are struggling. And so David is a bit on edge. David's on edge in the wilderness. And now he needs food. Now he needs something. He needs something that hopefully someone else can give him. And so Nabal enters the story. Nabal, the fool, enters into the story. But before we get to the foolish, evil part about Nabal, we learn something really important. He has power and he has money. He is a Calebite, probably the head of that clan, which was a powerful clan for the tribe of Judah, which had its own power. And so we get this sense, Nabal, from the outside, right? He's got comfort, he's got money, he's got power, he's got a beautiful wife. And we see, like, maybe from the outside, all's looking really grand. And then we get this little sentence that says, was a hard man who did evil things. Not only does his name mean fool, but now we learn that, yeah, he may have a lot of stuff. He may have a lot of power. He may look really great in some ways. He may have a beautiful wife. He may have an intelligent wife, but, but he does evil. He is shady. He is a shady individual, and we see that today in our own world, right? We know people who are power hungry, who are greedy, who do, do unethical, illegal things. And we know that if you have enough power and money, that doesn't mean you're going to face the consequences like the rest of us. So Nabal 
Nabal the fool. Nabal who may have what it looks like all together. Nabal the fool does evil things. Does things that separate him from God and others. And so we're getting the setup of this story. David on edge. David in the wilderness. David not feeling so great. David is beginning to be in need. And Nabal, the greedy, self-absorbed fool, comes into the story. Continuing on in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 25. While in the wilderness, David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten servants telling them, Go up to Carmel. When you get to Nabal, greet him for me. Say this to him. Peace to you, your household and all that is yours. I've heard that you are now shearing sheep. As you know, your shepherds were with us in the wilderness. We didn't mistreat them. Moreover, the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs went missing. Ask your servants, they will tell you the same. So please receive these young men favorably, because we've come on a special day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. All right, so David, David's in need. What he's meaning by whatever's on hand, David's in need of some food. David's in need of some provisions. And what's happened here is while he's been out in the wilderness with his men, with his servants, with his army, that Nabal's servants have been out there as well, tending to their flocks, tending to their stuff. And David offers protection. David gives freely this protection. David's like, okay, I'm going to be helpful now so that when I need help, right? So there's this sense of David's beginning to expect certain things. I gave help, so hopefully I'm kind of expecting you to give help to Nabal. All right? We can feel the story building. We can feel how, ooh, this may not go so well. As the reader, we're like, ooh, David, I don't know if you're going to get what you want seen from outside. But we do this, right? We all have kind of this sense where we're trying to make space. How can I be helpful? How can I be encouraging? How can I be supportive? How can I do good? Right? Most of us are trying to do good out in this world, whether we expect something in return or not, maybe. And so this story begins to question how we are making space for asking for help, for receiving help, for giving help, for even understanding what we are doing in that moment of giving, receiving, asking, replying, responding. And so when we are asking or receiving do we begin to feel like we've got some expectations happening? Continuing on in verses 9 through 13. When David's young men arrived, they said all this to Nabal on David's behalf. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is Jesse's son? There are all sorts of slaves running around from their masters these days. 
Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I've butchered for my shearers and give it to people who came from <laughs> who knows where? So David's young servants turned around and went back the way they came. When they arrived, they reported every word of this to David. Then, Jesus, then David said to his soldiers, All of you strap on your swords. So each of them strapped on their swords, and David did the same. Nearly 400 men went up with David. 200 men remained back with the supplies. All right. So David sends his men, says, here's how to go about this. I need you to ask. And Nabal's like, nope. But he doesn't just stop there in his response. He could have just said no. But instead, Nabal the fool, Nabal the self-absorbed, Nabal that's only about power, greed, and his own comfort, it responds with, who are you? Nabal knows who David is. David held a prominent position in Saul's court, in the area. People know who David is. Nabal is insulting David. And David's response, oh, no, you do not. David is like, strap on your swords, man. Here we go. I want revenge. That response right? That response of David begins to shift David into acting like Nabal. David, who was trying to go about it the right way, so it seemed, he was trying to be helpful, but at the same time, he was also requesting help because that's what he needed. He's trying to do the right thing, so it seems all of a sudden is like, oh, no, you don't come for me. I'm coming for you. Strap on your swords. This moment when we are under pressure, when we are feeling challenged, when we feel like things are kind of coming at us, how do we begin to respond? Do we respond from that place of pain? Do we begin to respond from that place of hurt? David is hurt. His feelings are hurt. His pride is hurt. Nabal has shamed him. And David's like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming right back. And so our own responses, even when things began to, to go all right or we were trying to do the right thing, how do we begin to respond when we are placed under pressure and people aren't responding to us the way that we wanted? And notice, notice something. God has yet to be mentioned. Any mention of God in this story God doesn't seem to be present. And so in our thinking about that, in our responses, where is God in our responses? Continue on in verses 14 through 17. One of Nabal's servants told his wife Abigail, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he just yelled at them. 
But the men were very good to us and didn't mistreat us. Nothing of ours went missing the whole time we were out there, out with them in the fields. In fact, the whole time we were with them watching our sheep, they were a protective wall around us both night and day. Think about that and see what you can do because trouble is coming for our master and his whole household. But he's such a despicable person. No one can speak to him. So one of Nabal's servants goes to Abigail, the wife, whom we know as being intelligent. We know that women in the ancient world didn't have a whole lot of power, but they are not helpless. And so Abigail hears this information, hears what's going on, hears the situation, and realizes destruction is coming, right? Nabal's servant is like, oh, we've got a problem here. David tried to provide help. David tried to give us this protective wall. He tried to, to treat us right. And Nabal's response to him is shame, is problematic, is destructive. And now David is on the warpath. And the servant's like, we are all in trouble, all of us. The innocent people who had nothing to do with this, right? It was between Nabal and David, and here now all of a sudden everybody's life is on the line because of responses, because of two people's responses. And we kind of know this, right? Depending upon how a person responds to another and back and forth, it can impact all of us even though we may be innocent bystanders. And so Abigail is, say, is being asked to respond is saying, wait a minute, what agency, what power do you have in this moment, Abigail? How can you respond? Because we are all in deep trouble. Abigail is being asked to make it right, to help the situation. And she knows, right? She knows that she can't go and talk to Nabal, right? Because it says... He's such a despicable person, no one can speak to him. We already know we can't go that route. So how do we figure this out? How do we begin to figure out how to respond differently that keeps all of us safe, that begins to turn our life around, that begins to shift us in new ways, that begins to take our world in another, our lives in another direction. Abigail, Abigail is in a position to respond. Even though she may not have a ton of power, she still has agency. She is not powerless. She is not helpless. And so to think about that for ourselves, when we find ourselves in situations, in difficulties, how are we able to respond? We may not have a ton of power. We may not be the ones in control or the ones who created the situation. But how? How can we respond? Because all of us can respond in some way. Sometimes we respond in silence. Sometimes we respond by running. Sometimes we go, no, I don't see any. Nope, nope, not paying any attention. How can we respond in situations like this that impact not only our lives, but other people's lives? 
And so this is one of those challenges of moving us, of shifting us, of beginning to say, wait a minute, I can respond. Wait a minute, I do have some agency. So how might we begin to think along those lines? Finishing up in verses 18 through 22. Abigail quickly took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep ready for cooking, five sias of roasted grain, 100 raisin cakes, and 200 fig cakes. She loaded all this on donkeys and told her servants, go on ahead of me, I'll be right behind you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. As she was riding her donkey going down a trail on the hillside, David and his soldiers appeared, descending toward her, and she met up with them. David had just been saying, what a waste of time, guarding all this man's stuff in the wilderness so that nothing of his went missing. He has repaid me evil instead of good. May God deal harshly with me, David, and worse still, if I leave alive even one single male belonging to him come morning. First off, Abigail realizes she can respond. She's going to take a risk in her response. And she's going to take what she needs with her, what she can take with her. She may not be able to drag Nabal out there and say, apologize. However, she's going to take some provisions. She's going to take something that David needs. And so she's being really smart about how she is engaging in her response with David. And she is willing to take that risk because she doesn't know how David is going to react to her, right? Because David's on the warpath. David's angry. David's ready to destroy. David's ready to use the power that he has and be like, decimate. David's response here is rather telling. He has gotten himself worked up in such a state that we have our first mention of God in this story. And it is not positive. David says, he has repaid me evil instead of good. Self-righteousness, right? David's like, wait a minute, I am in the right here. And so because I am right, may God deal harshly with me, David. And worse still, if I leave alive even one single male belonging to him come morning. David is taking an oath here. He is like making a promise like, man, I am going to destroy everybody. And if I don't destroy everybody, then may God destroy me. Like, wait, what? David's response is now at a place of kind of getting a little on the, whoa, hold up there, dude. And sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes we find ourselves in situations and we begin to get so worked up about it that we begin to say things that maybe we need to take a little bit step back from. Or maybe we invite God into, but only under our circumstances, only in the ways that we want. David wants revenge, and David wants God on his side for revenge. And right here, David is continuing to act just like Nabal, the fool. 
David is more concerned about his power. He is more concerned about taking what he thinks is rightfully his. David is more concerned about himself, himself, than anyone else. And he is willing to destroy everybody's life, including those who are completely innocent. And to think about that in the sense of what Nabal was willing to do, right? Nabal, the fool, the one who is so self-absorbed he's willing to destroy everyone else for his own gain. And so this is the situation and David here, David is showing the kind of pain, our kind of response when we are in pain, when we feel like we've been slighted, when our expectations and our realities don't meet up. I've said this before, right? When our expectations and our realities don't match up, we generally have to grieve that. We have to understand it. We generally feel this sense of pain and loss when our expectations and our realities don't meet. David had expectations and Nabal did not reach them. And now there is pain and David is responding out of that. And so for ourselves, of taking that moment of saying, wait a minute, my response to this, where is that coming from? How is that coming forth? What place is that? Is it because it is out of a place of pain, out of confusion, out of my expectation and the reality not matching? Is it because I feel shamed, I feel guilted? Why am I having this response? And where is God in any of that? Right, because David's invoked God, but only in a really negative, unhealthy sense. And to remember, because David didn't. In this moment, David's response is so harsh that he forgets that his life belongs to God. That in life and in death, we belong to God. And David has forgotten that he belongs to God. And so in our own responses in life, when we're struggling, when we're trying, when we make those errors, are the responses that we have, are they connected to a God who claims us or are they connected to something else? Are they connected to things like Nabal and David connect? Are they connected to more of our comfort? Are they connected to our pain? Are they connected to our wants? How are our responses connected to God? And that's where the story is challenging us. It's challenging us to dig in. It's challenging us to question. It's challenging us to look further. That if in life and death we belong to God, then in our responses we belong to God. Those two are not separated. And so to have those hard questions to deal and dig in with those questions for our lives as we're trying to figure out how to live better, we have to figure out how our responses are connected to God or not. 
especially when we're feeling under pressure, especially when we're dealing with stuff, especially when the events of life are swirling around, especially when we feel like things are so chaotic. Our life belongs to God, and so do our responses. And so how will we allow this story of David to challenge us today How will we allow it to guide us? How will we allow it to break us down and build us back up? How will we allow this story to give us direction in how our life belongs to God? How our responses belong to God? Amen.